0: On this edition of The Table of Content, Michael and I review the new fantasy series from We Are One Body Audio Theatre, Misspelled. We take a look at episode one, and we hope that you will enjoy this quest that we're on, coming up next, right here on The Table of Content. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Table of Content. I am Albert Signs, joined with Michael Steele. Michael, so glad to have you aboard.
1: Thank you, Albert. It's so good to be with you again.
0: So, we've got a brand new fantasy series released by We Are One Body Audio Theatre. And uh, it's a, a seven-part fantasy series. And we've just released uh, the first episode. And we want to take a look back at it. And I'm really excited to uh, kind of open it up and look at the story. Uh, But I've got got to know, and, and I'll answer sort of first, but I've got to know, you know, if you are a fantasy fanatic. I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was thinking, if you asked me as a kid, I probably would not have said that I was a fantasy person. I would have probably just sort of dismissed it, even though I had seen a couple of probably fantasy-esque movies like the never-ending story, mm. uh willow um mm. but really I was probably more sci-fi like you could have asked me do you like science fiction and I probably would have said oh yeah I like science fiction but it wasn't until of course this is going to sound stereotypical but it wasn't until was it 99 or 2000 when the lord of the rings hit the theater and then mm. you could have probably said yeah I'm I'm totally a fantasy guy because like my friends and I went to the theater like 9 or 10 times just to watch the fellowship of the ring. So I think I was completely engrossed in fantasy by that point. Uh yeah. but what about you? Are you a fantasy guy?
1: Yeah, I would have to say that I am. i I this might come across as a bit snobbish, but I'm I I feel like I'm a discerning fantasy guy. I I was introduced to Tolkien from the get-go. Uh my godmother god rest her soul uh, i think for my 10th birthday gave me a copy of the hobbit and i read that and just couldn't put it down and then a couple years later i got into the the actual the trilogy the lord of the rings you know and so um that sort of set the standard for me in terms of you know reading and uh, i would look for other type of fantasy-esque novels in at the library or wherever, but none of them really did the trick for me as much as Tolkien did. Um, I remember reading like C.S. Lewis. He, he was really good on some of his things. But, sure. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, it, it just, I don't know. There, there's just a depth there to Tolkien's, Like you were saying, I totally agree. And then when the movies came out, um, right, it was just like, Oh, finally. Well, and I had been interested in some of attempts uh, at, some of the movies earlier, but uh, they were <laughs> were actually poorly done. Yeah, and limited yeah. limited to the quality uh, or the technological advances of their time. So, sure, I was really uh, disappointed. But yeah, when Peter Jackson, you know, God bless him, undertook this undertaking, yeah, it was just amazing as well.
0: Yep, yep. Well, let's get into it. Uh, let's get into episode one, uh, titled "Forget While the Getting Is Good." And uh, what we have is the mage, uh, kind of a, a wizard type of fellow, uh, mm. who is looking. He's on his own quest. He's on a search. He's on a journey. Uh, he, he has an apprentice along with him. And from the very beginning, we understand quickly what he's trying to do. He's trying to find a particular spell. Uh, I guess he's trying to find a book that has a particular spell and we learn that he wants to. Uh, what, what's the what's the word for it? You want to uh, cast, I guess. You want to cast a spell, right? And it's supposed to grant him sort of um, all the knowledge. He's after knowledge and power, basically. He's after knowledge and power, yeah. as we see so many people uh, through. I mean, I guess through stories and through our own actual, you know, history, people crave knowledge and crave power. So the mage is sort of following suit. He brings his apprentice with him. And uh, he starts off by uh, coming upon a house who we learn uh, belongs to a character named Baba Yaga. And it's a particularly odd house, uh, a house on chicken legs. uh, But as folklore has it, that is uh, the house traditionally that Baba Yaga resided in was a house on chicken legs. Mm. So Mm. they... They come upon the house, and the apprentice, you know, kind of unsure, should you know, because basically what they're doing is they're breaking into the house uh, to try and find this spell, and you know, the the apprentice is cautious and worried, and you know, sh- should should we be doing this? And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, we should be doing this, um, and so they they get in, and then they're they're surrounded by. Uh, basically books books and books and books of, of of spells and uh you know i i can almost uh I can almost sort of relate to to the feeling while i'm not i don't think anyone could ever classify me as the the biggest book aficionado in the world i like a good book but you know i'm just not i'm just not the avid reader that some people are however that being said i was once introduced to the uh, the biggest half price books in like the country. And it's like in the Dallas Fort worth area. And I walked into this place and it was so huge. And there were so many books and so many different, you know, you know, periodicals and hardbacks and paperbacks and all the different genres. It was so huge. And you just kind of feel overwhelmed and just like, I didn't know there could be this many books in one place. And I'm sure somewhere in the world there's some great library and archive um, that has even more books than the half-price books in the Dallas Fort mm-hmm. Worth area. But mm-hmm. I, I can appreciate that, you know, when you hear the story, the you hear uh their sort of their awe, they're in wonder of you know, all the books that are surrounding them and they go around looking at yeah. all the books and so right. it it is kind of overwhelming, you know, it, it is an overwhelming feeling to be surrounded by so much, I guess you would say, knowledge. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know. And I was just um, did a little uh, search here uh, for Baba Yaga, and it's in. She sort of originates in Slavic f- uh, folklore, and uh, she's one of three sisters. And she can. She's usually appears as a ferocious looking old woman, and she may help or hinder those that encounter her or seek her out. So depending, you know, on uh, what your intentions and what your quests are, she may be your ally or she may be your obstacle or enemy. So it's kind of interesting that Baba Yaga is sort of the back, the background. And to find out that, like you were saying, that opening scene where they, we find ourselves on the front porch of the house with the chicken legs, you know, and it's moving around and it's creaking and, and groaning that just brings it to life it's so cool we, we, you know you
0: know what a good what a what they did that was really good you know you could start off a lot of stories in a more peaceful way right you could have mm-hmm. you could have had the the mage and the apprentice off somewhere else and then they sort of had heard about the this baba yaga in the book and the spell and you could have sort of led up to it but we just sort of get right into it from from from, from the beginning and right. it sort of is almost like immediately the story starts and there's, there's conflict because, well, you have two people who are breaking into a house. And on that note, for anyone who is kind of familiar with the folklore and the background of Baba Yaga, and I won't say anything here, like you said, uh, from what you were reading, she could help or hinder what you're working on. And the audience has to actually wait, and I am not going to say a single thing in this episode that could make you not wait. Uh, Spoiler. Yeah, I don't want any spoilers, <laughs> but you will have to find out to see what it is that this woman that lives in a house on chicken legs does for for the mage. So it's it's a really great sort of push to be like, okay, what's going on? We're immediately in some some sort of situation. Uh, breaking into a house, trying to find a magical spell. It's about power. And where's Baba Yaga? When is she coming home? What's going to happen? So it really is a great direction that we're headed in the story already with this sort of introduction of a conflict and waiting to see what's going to happen next. Uh, So I'll let you kind of go from there on where the story progresses from that point.
1: Right. So they find themselves in the library with... The acumen of all these books of lore and wisdom and spells and enchantment, and they're kind of marveling. I liked how you brought up that uh, experience of yours when you went to half-price books in Dallas, and you know, just being overwhelmed by all the books, right? And I get that same sensation as well whenever I go into a bookstore. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, so many books, so little time. There's kind of that sense of excitement and urgency that, you know, Baba Yaga may appear at any moment from whatever she was doing, you know, and ah, we, we got to find this book and get it over with, right, before we're, we're caught in the act. Uh, the mage is excited, but he's kind of frantic excited, you know, and the apprentice is sort of Overwhelmed by all the other wonderful books that are in this library, and is a little bit uh, distracted, not focused on on the main purpose, which is kind of interesting, you know, you know, the apprentice versus the master sort of dynamic going
0: on there. Right, right, and and it's in this sort of interaction, right, that we pick up that there's sort of some tension between the apprentice and the master, as you said, uh, because yes. the the, the mage is basically bossing him around, telling him, if you don't want to be here, you can leave. Why don't you just give me what 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 I need? Hurry, hurry, do this, do that, do that. And you hear the you hear the mage sort of muttering about. And, you know, you got to wonder how many relationships are like this kind of in the world. You know, two people work together and one who's sort of the overbearing boss, we'll say, and the sort of servant-esque type of person who just is, doesn't really like their boss, but they sort of do it because it's the job that they have. Right. Um, so it, it's another good, uh, sort of character development. We're, we're, we're getting a whole lot of development, uh, through these little things that are coming up, right? So you, you automatically start with breaking and entering you're in Baba Yaga's house. What's Baba Yaga going to do? Where is the spell they're looking for? Mm-hmm. The, the mage, the apprentice, they have this strained relationship Uh, there's a lot of franticness, like like you said, going on, you know, what's going to happen. So definitely a lot of suspense building up in this first scene.
1: Right. Right. A lot of questions that are opening up as well that are going to build the story and, uh, and just, and, and, and draw us in. Right. And I like how you said that right from the get go, we're just kind of thrown into that moment. We're not giving any sort of backstory as to the mage and his background or, or intentions or whatever, or the apprentice for his part, his background, his backstory, his intentions. But like you were saying, yeah, the, there's a little bit of a, of a tension going on here. You know, The mage is really focused on what he wants. The apprentice is um, also trying to help out as much as possible, but he's also kind of voicing his concerns, which are, like you were saying, they're sort of being steamrolled by... Uh, by the mage and uh, and so uh right it's it's all yeah it's like that dynamic where the the, the mage is so focused on what he wants it's, he kind of eclipses everything else right and the apprentice is like well hey you know trying to be the voice of reason maybe are you sure we should be here and he's like no like you were saying oh well, if you don't want to be here go mo- you know move on I'll, I'll go ahead and do it and then,
0: mm-hmm. well, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's in the, it's a lot of these conversations, uh, this conversation between the mage and the apprentice that we pick up on a few character kind of traits that are specific to each of them, right? So the mage comes across as sort of pompous, sort of arrogant, sort of very mm. uh, narrow-minded. Uh, yeah, full of himself. Full, full of himself, inconsiderate towards the apprentice. the The apprentice is cautious, uh, you could tell, int- obviously interested in magic from the way that he responds to the books that he finds, but worried, mm. concerned, uh, wants, you know, I, I believe wants to have a good relationship with the mage, but the mage just kind of keeps pushing him in the wrong direction uh, by the way he sort of is bossed around and treated sort of with disrespect. And, uh, you know, that, that's a good segue because normally you can tell that a relationship like that is probably going to lead to problems uh, that you can't maintain that sort of relationship uh, without something sort of breaking, right? So the, right. the, the dam is going to burst. Yep. And sure enough, you know, you, you strain the relationship, you push, you push, you push, you push, the dam breaks. And in the story, that's kind of what happens because the mage, without any consideration, just says, let's cast this spell. Right. Orders the apprentice around. Says, "You get up on this chair, and I want you to pour the potion over me." And in the midst of this, then uh, the chicken house has started to move, and there's a big accident, and mm. it's sort of a flurry of what's happening. Uh, something's happening to the to the apprentice. The 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 mage is you know, worried what's going on, and then there's just the, the scene sort of ends on a what sounds like. Something big has happened, and we don't know what. But we shouldn't sort of be totally surprised. As I said, that sort of tension and relationship normally leads to some sort of disaster. And while they tried to justify their actions, you know, like, well, you know, of course we should be here. We need to share this knowledge with everyone. It shouldn't be in one person's house. They, they, They started their little quest by sort of breaking and entering, right? So they right. broke in. They're trying to steal something. There's tension in their relationship. What was bound to happen except sort of disaster? You know, uh, it, it was, you know, it was, as they say, it's a recipe for disaster. Yep. You had all the yep. ingredients yep. Uh, we were introduced to in the first scene. Whereas we can imagine, right, if maybe they had knocked on the house, they had talked to Baba Yaga. They had, you know, he had been nicer to The uh, Apprentice we probably would not have had this sort of disaster at the end of the first scene but you know there we are but it's a it's obviously the segue into the rest of the of the series
1: right you know and that's that like you were saying that creates the dramatic tension of the story the there's that uh, that sense of like you were saying the way that it could have been played out and then the way it actually is playing out or even, you know, one could ask, you know, why were they even seeking it in the first place? I mean, if it were under, you know, lock and key in someone else's house, you know, there's probably a good reason that that it wasn't accessible just willy-nilly to everyone, you know. So, you know, but they, I, you know, his desire for that spell kind of eclipses any other sense of the proper way of going about things.
0: Right, and, and right. Like you
1: are saying. And then like you are saying, the form of his, uh, you know, dealings with his apprentice, you know, not treating him with respect or kindness and just kind of bulldozing him, you know. Yeah, it's a perfect setup for for what happens, you know.
0: <laughs> and what does happen after that? Where, where are we led to after the first scene?
1: After the first scene, so we don't really know exactly um, how the spell ends up, but we know uh, that the mage wakes up on the floor, uh, or he, he, he actually, he wakes up on the forest floor. So outside of the house, the house with chicken's legs is nowhere to be seen. And the mage is alone and has no idea what happened to him. No no memory. He's, he's, he's lost all of his memory. So it's kind of like a Jason Bourne moment.
0: Oh, nice! That's yeah. That's a great reference. You know, so it's like,
1: who am I? Why do I have all these amazing skills? And I don't even at this point, I don't even know if the mage is aware of of the skills that he has. But he's just like completely mind blank, and uh, and so he's on his back in in the forest, and he hears a sound, and then he. Uh, stumbles across a gathering of dwarves that are uh, singing, and they're paying homage to a beautiful young maiden who's in a glass coffin. And so we are uh, another interweaving of another fairy tale that we're all very familiar with. You know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves.
0: So, and and really, it's interesting because even with a total loss of memory of who he is and how he ended up where he did the mage still manages to maintain some of his more irritable qualities uh no because kidding. he 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 comes upon the dwarves and they're paying homage to snow white in the in the glass case and uh but he just sort of you know, barges his way through, you know, right? and you would think, yeah. well, at something that resembles a funeral, you might not necessarily barge through the people that are mourning, but he does. And it mm-hmm. just continues to add to the point that this guy is, you know, has some sort of, uh, some social cues that he is unaware of, you know, some social awkwardness, some, some, some etiquette that perhaps he's in need of. Um, right.
1: You know it, exactly, and it, great storytelling is showing not telling. And we have yet again an example of the mage just being kind of this selfish, uh, you know, oaf who kind of lacks, you know, sort of the, of the finer points of of social etiquette. You know, like you were thinking, at, you'd think at a funeral, you'd you'd show at least a little bit of empathy or respect or just kind of oh, I'm you know. Trying to reach out to those who are bereaved, but he's just like, oh, he's he's poking fun at the dwarf who's giving the speech, you know, and he's just kind of barging his way through the forest because he's so focused on his own own self, right? So yeah,
0: and uh, so he, so he comes up and says, you know, what's going on? They're like, well, you know, Snow White, she's she's no longer with us and, you know, we, and we miss her. And you pick up from the dwarves uh, that, you know, that they miss her, but they're actually also kind of frustrated because she did all their chores. So I think it's kind of interesting, the thought that the, this, that we would have never thought about in the, you know, um, let's say the, the Disney version of Snow White, that we would not have sort of considered this potential, Facet that the dwarves were more interested in Snow White because she helped with chores around the house, mm. but they they're 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 missing the fact that you know their their laundry's not going to get done. Um, so he's talking with them. They're they're bemoaning the fact that she's sort of gone and she's left us. And then because he's a mage, but he doesn't know that he can mm. look at her and he says, you know, what are you right. crying about? She's she's not dead, and the dwarves are all caught off guard and uh it's it, it's entertaining right because there's this concept of course in many fairy tales that oh well you know the beautiful lady the beautiful girl the princess you just need to you just need to kiss her and she'll wake up so right they're sort of like well, why don't, why don't you do it and he's sort of like ah uh, no uh <laughs> not it's not it's not what i do uh but uh in spite of that and him not kind of knowing who he is, he does, we, we realize that he still somehow knows his abilities. So he kind of casts a spell. He says some magic words and, uh, snow white, you know, the, the apple comes out and she wakes up and she comes out and she wants to know what's going on. But the mage continues to show his characters. And I love this. The, the, the mage will continue to show all of his character traits through the mm. entire series. But Snow White's so excited to be woken up, and she wants to know who who saved her. And, you know, it comes out that it was the mage. And she's like, you know, oh, take me with you. Let me go with you. And he's like, no, no, I, I, I don't want you to come with me. You know, he, just, he doesn't want any part of this. He just wants to figure out who he is. Um, and then, of course, you know, we are reintroduced to the Snow White being disappointed because the dwarves are like, yay, we're going to get our chore person back.
1: Right, <laughs> right. I, I really like how the story brings out that possible scenario of the the, the dwarves just kind of looking at her as a, as a caretaker. There's that one line, you know, she's our she was our mother, our our caretaker. We loved her, and you know, and the mage kind of retorts like, "She looks a little young to be your mother." And the dwarves are like, "Well, figuratively, of course, you know." But uh, you know, and I had a, another thought uh, occur to me as you were talking about the mage. So he does do sort of an act of kindness here. He does help the dwarves out. And, you know, it it just kind of points to, okay, in spite of all of his sort of rough edges, he's really maybe deep down a good guy. And maybe it's, it's kind of early in the story to tell, but, you know, and I wonder if there's in the wizard world, if there's a certain point where, a wizard can achieve such a a high level of whatever knowledge and acumen of power, et cetera, et cetera, that these, they can't be bothered with like these little things such as, you know, an enchanted, you know, sleep or, uh, you know, he's, he goes through through these scenarios and tasks and it seems like he's on another level. I, I don't know if that's a sign of true wisdom though. You know, if you feel like, like you were saying earlier, you're so sort of caught up in yourself that you can dispense with sort of the details of, uh, you know, human interaction. You know, it was just a thought that occurred to me.
0: Well, right. And and, and we're going to see more of this as we go through the series and we're going to watch as the mages character sort of develops and, Mm. you know, and sort of comes full circle. Uh, but you said it very well. You said the little point where you said, but he did help the dwarves. And, right. yep. and we're going to sort of see this recurring theme of this this mage who we're introduced to, to who seems to kind of have basically kind of an attitude problem. Yeah. We're going to see how an unexpected person such as the mage will grow in their own personal character and how someone such as that can actually be of great service to those around him. And it's one of those things that we kind of look forward to in the story, where we start to see, well, what, what is the mage going to do? Like, what happens next? You know, where is he going to go? Who is he going to, to meet? So uh, really, this is a good sort of entrance from, you know, the the introductory conflict into his first sort of uh, encounter with with other people, you know, or dwarves and Snow White, right. and how he interacts there, and where will this lead him? You know, a, a man without a memory sort of has, to a certain extent, an an open door in in front of him uh, as to what he can do, what will he do, and how will he respond. Uh, so, really, some uh, some good some good questions sort of opened up here at the end of the of the first episode.
1: Yeah. 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 A question I had was, you know, why the attitude, you know? And so that's, that's sort of intriguing to me at this point in the series. You know, why does the mage have the attitude? And, you know, I I was going to quip when you said a man without a memory, I was going to say, what? I forgot. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I I feel like the mage a lot, and I feel like I forget many things. But normally, I just blame that on the fact that I have four kids, so yeah, my, uh, yeah. my memory's just kind of shot. Yeah,
1: exactly. Say, so, yep. The the uh, I, I'm right there with you. You know, with a five month old in the house and two others. Yeah, just the mental bandwidth is is stretched.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I used to have high speed memory bandwidth. I've gone down to to dial up uh, on my memory band. So most yeah, of the time it just makes those annoying noises. Most of the time I can't yeah. make the connection.
1: Right. Yeah. I find myself buffering a lot. Yeah. Right, like, right. 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 <laughs> what was
0: I going to say? Hey, well, uh, <laughs> good, good, uh, good Wrap on uh, episode one. And, uh, we're, we're really excited about the rest of the episodes and we hope that, uh, you as an audience will tune in. If you haven't listened to them yet, please, uh, Go find uh, Misspelled on any of the number of outlets. Go to podcast for We Have One Body Audio Theater. Go to our YouTube page. Go to Facebook. Uh, It shouldn't be too hard to find. Again, the series is Misspelled, and we'll continue to cover the coming episodes, and we hope that you will tune in for the rest of the episodes and for our table of content coverage. Until the next time, be good, stay safe, peace.